You're heading south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is episode 24, and it covers uh, the week of uh, April 25th through April 29th, 2016. I'm Brian McClanahan, your host. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about, and before we get into any of the articles, we have to stop the press and discuss the U.S. Congress. Now, I know that's a bad word for many people. Um, It should be. But what I need to discuss about the U.S. Congress is something that we haven't written an article on, but it, um, it was newsworthy on April 25th, so Monday of this week. And I was reading uh, a little website entitled uh, yellowhammernews.com, which is a Alabama news site. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had seen that the Congress was going to um, remove the Mississippi flag from a hallway that connects the Capitol building itself with the congressional offices. And uh, they were doing some renovations there. When the renovations are finished, they were just not going to put the Mississippi flag back up. They were going to replace it with the uh, image of the state quarter. And so it's because it had Confederate imagery. And so apparently now the decision has been made that not only will the Mississippi flag be removed, but so will the Florida, Georgia, Arkansas, and Alabama flags. Because they have quote-unquote, Confederate imagery. And here is what uh, the chairwoman from the uh, committee uh, who made this decision, she's from Michigan, this is what she said. Quote, Given the controversy surrounding Confederate imagery, I decided to install a new display. I am well aware of how many Americans negatively viewed the Confederate flag, and personally, I am very sympathetic to these views. However, I also believe that it is not the business of the federal government to dictate what flag each state flies. Well, thank you very much, uh, Candace Miller, Chairwoman Candace Miller, for that uh, honest assessment that the government cannot dictate to the states which flag they fly. But we can say, hey, in a union of states, you states right here, you're not equal because we can say uh, we're not going to put your flag in our, in our hallway uh, for the representatives who pass by that. Now, of course, there are some people in the Mississippi legislature, uh, I'm sorry, in the Mississippi delegation, who don't like the Mississippi state flag. They don't even fly it in front of their office. And that's fine if they want to make that decision. But the people of Mississippi should be outraged by this. So should the people of Alabama, Florida, Georgia, and Arkansas. In fact, a bill should be put forward to remove all the state flags then from that hallway Because what you are essentially saying is some states are more equal than others in this union. And if we're going to go about the business, see, they missed some. If we're going to go about the business of removing flags that have, quote-unquote, Confederate imagery, or how about flags that are pro-secession? We'll just remove those, too, because obviously secession is treason. So we should get rid of anything that has secession involved or Confederate imagery. Or how about um, racism? We'll get rid of that, too. So looking at the list of flags, first of all, any of the flags that uh, are from the original 13 states, for example, Virginia or New Hampshire or Delaware or New York or New Jersey or Connecticut, any of those flags really should be considered 
as uh, illegal in the United States government. Uh, maybe even Massachusetts. Now, of course, Massachusetts has changed its flag to be more politically correct. Uh, but we have all these flags that represent Confederate symbols and secession or racism. So let's go down the list. First, let's start with Kentucky. Now, Kentucky doesn't have anything on it that's Confederate. No, I also have to say this. Most of these flags are not even adopted until well after the war. And yes, some of them have quote-unquote Confederate imagery because they were trying to remember that part of the state's past, which was very important to all of these states because of all the men that had bled and died for that quote-unquote Confederate imagery. So they didn't want that to be in vain. They wanted that part of their history to be remembered. So the whole idea of a state flag actually came out of the war itself. Before the war, you really didn't have state flags. It didn't mean the states didn't have their sovereignty. And I know that some people would say, well, there's the proof right there. The states weren't sovereign because they didn't have flags like the U.S. government. Um, but the, the fact is they really didn't think about that, having a flag, because there wasn't a need for one necessarily. Um, so why don't we just remove all the state flags? Because that would be the traditional American position. Just take them all out and put up the state seal or something. But besides that, uh, so this whole idea of state flags came out of the war, for the most part. So let's look at Kentucky. Kentucky, uh, on the flag of Kentucky, you have both Daniel Boone, both Daniel Boone and Henry Clay. Now, both of these men, particularly Henry Clay, I mean, he's a slaveholder. Daniel Boone would be considered, you know, a racist today. Uh, so here you have two guys that are very politically incorrect, Daniel Boone has been essentially blacklisted from uh, modern historical text, even though he was the quintessential American for most of American history, at least antebellum American history. And then after, people wanted to be Daniel Boone. Even into the 1960s, you know, Daniel Boone was a man. Uh, and so that, that whole idea of Daniel Boone is so politically incorrect, I'm surprised that Kentucky ha is allowed to keep their state flag in the U.S. Capitol because that does not mesh with... Uh, current American policy. Uh, it's too politically incorrect. There's racists on there. So we need to get rid of that one. So let's start. Take out Kentucky. It's got racists on it. Louisiana. Somehow they missed this flag with Confederate imagery. Now, it does not have the St. Andrew Cross on it, which, of course, is what they're pointing at. Well, Alabama's got that and Florida's got that. Uh, so we got to get rid of that. It doesn't have that. But the Pelican flag was actually adopted in 1861 as the official state flag. So it does have Confederate imagery. It flew over the state of Louisiana when it was out of the Union. <laughs> so it's a Confederate flag. It's exactly what it is. So it should go to, there you have a Confederate flag. How about North Carolina? Same thing. Now, often people say, well, that's not a Confederate flag. Well, it was because, again, it was adopted in 1861 when North Carolina left the Union as the official flag of the sovereign state of North Carolina, the country of North Carolina in essence. Now, they changed part of the flag to reflect uh, the American War for Independence and not the, not the uh, War for Southern Independence. So they changed part of the flag. But still, this is the flag that was flown over North Carolina when North Carolina was independent from the Union for four years. And so it is a Confederate flag. So let's get rid of that one. Or how about Maryland? 
Maryland is a hybrid flag. It has uh, the Calvert family seal on it, essentially. But if you look at the flag, there are uh, the uh, crossland symbol, the red and white symbol on the Maryland flag. That was flown by Confederate regiments, Maryland regiments during the war, and then the other part of the flag was flown by Union regiments. So it's kind of a it's a it's a reconciliation flag, but still it has Confederate imagery because this crossland uh, symbol was flown by Confederate reg- regiments during the war, Maryland regiments. Or how about South Carolina? I mean, you can't get any more uh, pro secession, pro Confederacy than South Carolina's flag because that. Uh, Part of the flag, of course, was adopted during the American War for Independence. The other part, putting a palmetto flag on the on the palmetto tree on the flag, that was uh, done during 1861 when they decided to create a a state flag that reflected the sovereign state of South Carolina. And so, this is a Confederate flag. And now, the state of South Carolina would adopt a different type of flag as well. Uh, but this particular flag was flown by the state of South Carolina as a secession flag. So it's a Confederate flag. Or how about uh, Texas? Texas's flag, of course, was adopted in 1846. Uh, and uh, before that, 1836, I'm sorry, 1836, you had uh, the independence of Texas. Uh, and uh, the, this this particular current flag of Texas... Um, was not adopted till after the, the Texas War of Independence, but it became the flag of the Republic of Texas, which is a secession flag. And this flag was used um, by uh, Confederate soldiers during the war. It, re- it reflected the sovereign state of Texas. So, hey, it's a Confederate flag too. Might as well take that one down. And then one of my favorites would be the, the state flag of California. So here you have California, the Bear Flag Republic. What is that? Well, that was the secession movement in California to have an independent country of California. So it's secessionist. And, of course, California, a lot of people don't realize, but California had some very strict laws in relation to non-white residents of the state. In fact, they had a tax on any non-white residents of California at one point. And uh, this essentially applied to the Chinese because there weren't really any other non-white peoples. The, the uh, American Indian tribes who were in California were exempt from the tax. So it applied to, to the Chinese. And you, can find, you can't find really uh, much more racist sentiments than came out of California during this particular period of time. So, hey, why not uh, get rid of the California flag? It's a secession flag, and it has a racist past. So we got to get rid of that one, too. So... Those flags need to go, and I'm sure if you did a little digging about any of these flags, except for the ones that have been adopted, say, in the last 20 or 30 years, you're going to find that these flags have a less-than-PC past. So we should just get rid of all these flags because they do not reflect current American policy when it comes to political correctness. So here we have another, another example of political correctness run wild. This time it's infecting the Capitol building itself, and some states are not equal to other states. Again, I think the, the legislatures of these particular states and the congressional delegations should uh, be very upset by this move because the other states still get to fly their flag, but yet these states don't. And again, they're missing some. 
They just need to pull those flags down too. Uh, any flag that represents secession or racism or the Confederacy needs to go. Uh, because, you know, we have to get rid of this or we have to recontextualize all this. This is the, now the new catchphrase. Recontextualize uh, these, uh, these monuments or flags or symbols or whatever you've got. They have to be reinterpreted. Uh, and, and so people that say, well, I, I'm not for removing these monuments. We just need to recontextualize them. Uh, in other words, take, uh, put a plaque up next to it and talk about how bad that person was. Uh, and so we can leave the monument there, uh, maybe. But, of course, the people that talk about recontextualizing things jump up and down with joy when a monument gets moved. Of course, we just saw that um, there's a Jefferson Davis monument and uh, that's going to be moved in Kentucky. I mean, it's just going to be taken down. Uh, and this is on a university campus. Uh, forget the fact that Jefferson Davis uh, was from Kentucky uh, and one of the more important Americans in American history, not just in the Confederacy, but this guy has his fingerprints all over the United States uh, Capitol building. And uh, so we, I guess we just bulldoze the Capitol building because you know Jefferson Davis had a hand in, in the redesign of the Capitol building. Um, so we should take that out too. Um, you know, this is just ludicrous, right? I mean, what, what's going on now is um, is laughable if it wasn't so sad in what's happening and how people are just rushing. And this is this again is akin to the French Revolution when there was a rush during that time to take out of anything from the old regime. Just get rid of it. Uh, it's it's a symbol of uh, the past, and it has to go. I mean, this is this is cultural Marxism at its best. Um, so purging these things, and they're just going to take the statue down and put it somewhere they haven't decided. Well, a more appropriate place. Obviously, a warehouse is what they think is a more appropriate place. Um, so we, we can't we can't have this thing around. This is exactly what's happening. Now, I did see that uh, a one victory against the PC police is that um, Calhoun College is going to be is going to stay Calhoun College at Yale University, which is which is great, unexpected. Uh, who would have seen that Yale would have actually made the right decision there? John, Ke- John C. Calhoun being one of the most important Americans in American history, not just South Carolinians or Southerners, but Americans. I mean, uh, even uh, people like Daniel Webster and Henry Clay recognized this when he died, how important the man was for, for American history overall. So uh, Calhoun College is going to stay. How long? Who knows? But, of course, if we're going to start talking about changing names, maybe Yale woke up and figured out, wait a second here, if we're going to change the name of Calhoun College, maybe we should change the entire name of the university because Elihu Yale had a firm hand in the slave trade. So uh, perhaps we should get rid of it, just change the name to some other, pick some uh, you know modern figure and call it that. Can't, ha- can't have Timothy Dwight attached to Yale either because he was the guy that essentially created a biblical defense of slavery uh, in, uh, in the antebellum period. All of his students... Uh, went out and uh, became ardent pro-slavery defenders. And so here you have Timothy Dwight from Yale, uh, who is um, the, uh, the guy that uh, crafted the best biblical defense argument for the, uh, best argument for the biblical defense of slavery in the antebellum period, even though people like George Whitfield have been talking about that long before Ella, uh, um, long before Timothy Dwight. But uh, regardless, uh, Timothy Dwight's name is all over slavery. So perhaps, uh, you know, take care of him too. Um, I mean, this is where you start getting into, you're going to have to just start taking down everything. Uh, We're just going to have to say American history begins in in, uh, 1965. 
and uh, or maybe 1968 or maybe 1972. Who knows? That's when American history begins. We'll just start the calendar over right there. And uh, anything post-1972 is acceptable, uh, but anything before 1972, we can't have it because it's attached to some legacy, American legacy of racism or slavery or Confederacy or whatever it is. Uh, and uh, we need to take down all the monuments to the, to the founding generation. We need to go after Abraham Lincoln. And in fact, uh, next week we're running a piece on this. Um, and of course, this has been said before, all the racist things that Northerners said are overlooked and ignored. Uh, because uh, the North gets a pass. And should they? I mean, if we're going to start purging things, should the North get a pass on these things? So uh, it's just interesting how this this stuff is infecting now the U.S. Capitol building. But who couldn't have seen that coming, right? And it, this, is the first, this is the first step. And I know people say that, uh, you know, this is hyperbole. <gasps> this is hyperbole because, uh, you know, you're saying that all these things are going to come to pass if we take down Confederate symbols. Well, yeah, I mean, Confederate symbols are the low-hanging fruit. You just get rid of those first, and then you start going after the other stuff. And what's going to happen when the other stuff, which is uh, you know, offensive to people, when, when people start wanting to take that down too? And it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Uh, what happens when your hero is under attack because they were racist or your state has a racist past or some figure in your state is unacceptable to the PC crowd. What's going to happen then in the North? Uh, so it's, it's amazing to me how people are so blind to what, what the, the ultimate objective of, the, of this movement is, and that is the eradication of anything that's offensive in American history and basically anything before 1972, probably. Um, it, it's, uh, and I say 72, or maybe 73 or 74. Who knows? Maybe 1985. I don't know when they're going to pick the date. But uh, we're going to be taking care of a lot of American history if we're getting rid of things that are offensive. All right, so let's talk about uh, the week in review here. Uh, now that I had that uh, little soliloquy there about... Um, Offensive symbols. So the first piece of the week was a little, tiny little piece by Kirk Sale on Texas secession. And, um, of course, the uh, the Texas nationalist movement has uh, gotten a on the Republican convention. There are 22 county organizations that have asked uh, to vote on the issue of secession at the Texas Republican convention. It's going to be voted down. But this shows that... Um, Secession is at least something that's on the table uh, for, for many people. They're thinking about it. You know, Texas could easily be its own country. It has a large enough economy to do it. And you've had people that have come out and, and made statements about Texas secession. Or Rick Perry said it one time, but of course he backpedaled and said, well, I was only kidding. Uh, or you have uh, the current governor, Abbott, who has proposed several constitutional amendments that would uh, cut the power of the central government. So, uh, you know, maybe that. Uh, would be uh, more palatable for people. So it's interesting how these things uh, are becoming much more popular in the uh, in the modern age. Of course, the original Texas Nationalist Movement was a bad organization. Those guys were bad people, um, and they were doing some pretty awful things. Uh, so thankfully, there's a, there's a new organization out there, but uh, trying to do things the right way and just, uh, just broaching the question, hey, uh, you know, the federal government is broken. We're broke. And are the people of Texas willing to go down on the Titanic, which is the U.S. government? And the interesting thing, why well, the Titanic analogy works very well, 
You know, one of the reasons why so many people died on the Titanic is because they didn't think the ship was going to sink even as it was sinking. What do I mean by that? Well, uh, the ship sank very, very slowly. And it wasn't until the last really, you know, few minutes that it sank quickly. And this is, people just stayed on the boat thinking that, well, rescue will get here before the ship finally goes under. And, uh, you know, some people got off, of course, and there's the whole idea of, you know, how, how these people got off and how you know, some boats were, were barely full and these kind of things. But that's the point. I mean, the ship was sinking so slowly. People thought, ah, oh, it's no big deal. We'll make it. The other ship will get here. Uh, and it wasn't as dramatic as the movie Titanic made it out to be until the very last part of the, of the ship sinking. And so the United States is sinking. It really is. I mean, we're bowed out. The, the debt that we have in, uh, for the U.S. government is, is sinking the ship. And, but people are just like, ah, you know, it's not going to sink. We'll fix it. Somebody will come rescue us. We'll bail it out somehow. Somebody will get, we'll get off this ship somehow, and uh, we'll fix that. It, as some sites of it, there's actually a pretty good website about the Zero Hedge. As they have pointed out, it, 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 can't, be, it can't be fixed. We're, we're actually to the point of no return. When, the, when servicing the debt takes up the entire federal budget, what are we going to do then? And just by talking about independence or talking about you know some type of strategies to uh, fix the Constitution, whatever it is, which are now seen as kooky and crazy and radical. Just by talking about these things, people are actually uh, saying, "Well, you know, maybe we should maybe we should think about these things. Uh, maybe now is the time to start thinking about it, uh, because the boat's sinking, and maybe we need to get off." All right. So uh, now, of course, this is politically incorrect to talk about this stuff. You know, you you, you can't talk about anything that might be a, a suitable. A solution to the problem, that self-determination, the people of Texas saying, well, I don't know if we really want to be part of this uh, ship sinking anymore. Let's get off. All right. So, of course, the other big issue in the last uh, week or so has been the reveal by the U.S. Treasury Department that they're going to take Andrew Jackson off the, off the $20 Federal Reserve note and replace him with Harriet Tubman. So uh, we ran a piece on Tuesday by uh, uh, James Rutledge uh, Roche, who um, said that uh, the cause of Jackson is the cause of us all. And so he takes a decidedly anti-PC approach to this particular piece. And I think Jackson should stay on the 20 as well, but not for, I mean, look, the PC assault, I mean, it's, it's ongoing. This is not, so you can take an anti-PC uh, position on taking Jackson off the 20. I say Jackson is a, is a real American hero, but a very bad president. And so, actually, that's why I think he should stay on the 20, because it's a reminder of how bad the federal government is. And, in fact, we should change all the money and uh, take, um, not only leave Jackson on there, but also take Franklin off. He's too good for the money. Uh, and put someone like Woodrow Wilson on the 100 and then go on down the line. we got to have, uh, you know, Tricky Dick on there on higher notes, because we are going to see rapid inflation at some point, and we're going to need to have these bigger bills. So you got to put... Uh, Nixon on there. You got to put Lyndon Johnson on there, and Franklin Roosevelt's got to be on there. And then, of course, when we get to the point where we need a million dollar notes, we should just put Obama and Bush on there together because um, both of these guys have so wrecked the economy. Um, they need to be accountable for this. And then on the back, you put uh, a painting of all the Federal Reserve chairmen and anyone that's had a hand in destroying the U.S. economy in the last hundred years. So, but uh, you know, leave Jackson on there for you know PC reasons as well. And essentially, that's what uh, uh, 
James gets into in this particular piece. Uh, he talks about how great of a you know great of American Andrew Jackson really was, and I mean you know taking him off for PC reasons for for a person who uh, all throughout American history has not had a very high profile. I mean Jackson has one of the highest profiles in American history. He's uh, always he had always been regarded as one of the key figures in American history, uh, and replacing him with someone who has never been regarded as such. In fact, most history books don't even talk about Harriet Tubman very much because her her history is uh, not that clear. Uh, and how important she really was. So, uh, but Andrew Jackson is a very important American. So, uh, what what James uh, you know he, he concludes with uh, every single politically correct charge which has been leveled against Jackson can and will soon enough be leveled against other American heroes, which is true. Today it may be a historical figure who you loathe. Tomorrow it may be one who you love. The Confederates have already been purged to the thunderous applause of conservatives. How long until the heroes of the Alamo become land-stealing whites who are racist against the Mexicans? How long until the founding fathers become selfish traitors who denied to slaves and women the same liberty which they declared for themselves? And this is North and South, too. How long until the Cavaliers and the Puritans become genocidal conquerors? All of these hypothetical purges are already happening. To paraphrase Benjamin Franklin, conservatives must indeed all hang together, or most assuredly, we shall all hang separately. Um, So this is true. Uh, conservatives are applauding the move. You know, we're going to get uh, Harriet Tubman on this. a good thing. Got to take care of that Democrat, Andrew Jackson. This just shows a complete ignorance of, of American history. But, uh, you know, Jackson staying on the 20 really should be something that people are, are uh, standing up and saying, no, we don't want to replace Jackson or Hamilton or Washington. Uh, of course, the Huffington Post has already said, well, you know, keeping— uh, uh, if we're going to get rid of Jackson, let's get rid of Jefferson on any coinage as well, because he was a slaveholder, a racist slaveholder. Well, what about George Washington? Um, he was a racist slaveholder. Uh, how about uh, you know? How about Woodrow Wilson? He was a racist, not a slaveholder, but he was definitely a racist. We should get rid of him too. Why are we Why are we leaving Wilson on there? Any Any of our coinage? Uh, we got to get rid of him. How about Abraham Lincoln? He was a racist. And his wife was from a slaveholding family, so I guess you could say he's a racist slaveholder. How about Lincoln? Let's get rid of him, too. Uh, Benjamin Franklin. Uh, while late in life he was submitting petitions to end slavery, Benjamin Franklin bought and sold slaves, so he was a, he was a racist slave trader. Let's get rid of him, too. And uh, U.S. Grant on the 50. Well, he was a racist uh, in a slaveholding family, so let's get rid of Grant. Where does it end? Where does it end? And trust me, these people are going to come under attack at some point. Even Lincoln, I think, is going to come under attack at some point. It's going to be hard with Lincoln because there's such a mythology around Abraham Lincoln. But uh, there's no doubt in the future that Lincoln will come under attack. Uh, Wednesday ran a piece uh, by Clyde Wilson, uh, uh, episode number 31 in his sayings by our four Southerners. And uh, a couple of uh, good ones here. Um, you know, he had a quote by uh, uh, the movie Santa Fe Trail, uh, which had Ronald Reagan in it, um, where Reagan uh, basically takes a, a very politically incorrect position when he's talking to Jeb Stewart about slavery. Um, and uh, one, of the, one of the quotes uh, that I thought was very interesting is a quote by abolitionist Henry Ward Beecher, who, who essentially said uh, that Southerners were devils. 
And um, so he was, uh, you know, had the New England Immigrant Aid Society. These were called Beecher's, or giving weapons to people of Kansas. These were called Beecher's Bibles. So, uh, you know, they were out there inciting violence in Kansas. And he said this in 1863, quote, Why not let the South go? Oh, that the South would go. But then they must leave us their lands. So get rid of the Southerners. We like the South, but Southerners are the problem. It's extermination. And uh, so I thought that was really good. Now, Thursday's piece got a lot of attention. And it's written by Paul Graham, who is uh, helping uh, Dr. Wilson run his uh, Shotwell Press. And the title of the piece is Confederophobia, an American Epidemic. Now, this is a, a satirical piece. Uh, I'm talking about, I mean, this is politically correct. It's, it's all about political correctness, which I opened the, the podcast with. And so if you don't know what confederophobia is, he defines it. Confederophobia is characterized by an irrational and pathological hatred and fear of all things confederate. Flags, monuments, graves, portraits, trinkets, stickers, etc. Anything that may be associated even as tenuously with the confederate states of America. Including in many cases the region from which it sprang, the South or Dixie, and those people and groups of people or, or and groups of people who are native or sympathetic to this region. While confederophobia has long existed, it has been more or less manageable and, except in rare cases, did not openly target individuals and groups deemed undesirable or, ironically, in their language, hateful until the great confederate flag battle flag purge that began in Columbia, South Carolina this past summer. It has arisen from a small, rather localized hysteria to a national enormity. Uh, and so this is true. I mean, you know, we've got it. We've got a point. We've come to a point where anything associated with the South uh, is now under attack. Graham goes on to say, Sadly, this irrational fear is often caused by ignorance and or arrogance, not pathology. Because this attitude is sanctioned by the educational establishment and reinforced in the mainstream media, many are convinced that they are sufficiently educated on matters related to the South and its history and are thus and thus are immune to the effect of any evidence or argument that runs counter to their ideological understanding of Dixie. Any evidence or argument is placed conveniently under the category of lost cause mythology and neo-Confederate revisionism. Once labeled thus by establishment authorities, there is no need to consider the matter any further. No alternative interpretation is acceptable. No evidence that contradicts establishment dogma counts. In this confederophobic society, countless Confederates and their descendants suffer in silence, as do copperheads and right-thinking Yankees, neither of whom are immune from being bullied by confederophobes. So Graham goes on to say, if you are a victim of conf- it sounds like a commercial, right? You get on these. Em- if you are a victim of mesothelioma, excuse me, mesothelioma, if I can speak today, uh, then you need to call this number. If you're a convic- victim of confederophobia, we can tell you with absolute certainty that you're not alone. According to some estimates, 80 to 100 million Americans are descended from Confederate soldiers, with the population of the U.S. approaching 320 million. That would make 25 percent, or one in four, genetically linked to the old Confederacy. Most people outside the South are probably unaware of this taint, and many inside the South know, but have been taught to suppress their natural affections and normal tendencies. So he says, remember, there's nothing wrong with you if you feel this way. What you're feeling is normal and natural. (laughs) Uh, There are one in four Americans are descendants of of, uh, Confederate soldiers. 
And not only that, when you look at American history, which you've said many times before, the South is America. You know, when you look at American history, it was dominated by the South. Early American history is dominated by the South. So uh, we forget that. We forget the South is America and that, um, unfortunately, this great purge, this pogrom, if you will, of all things Confederate is not going to stop, as I just said before, with the Confederate battle flag. It's going to continue. Now, Alabama state flag is under attack, or the Florida state flag, or the Georgia flag. Why Georgia flag? Because it's the first national flag of the Confederacy. Uh, Why the Arkansas flag? Because it has Confederate imagery. Even Bill Clinton recognized that when he signed the law in recognizing the Arkansas state flag. And of course, there's that great symbol of uh, you know Clinton Gore '92, which is a battle flag. There was a you know actually uh, pins were made like that. Uh, you probably won't see Hillary Clinton like that, but I mean somebody should make one and send it around. Uh, you know Hillary Clinton 2016 with a Confederate battle flag on it. Um, so you know this is um, this is this is what we've come to. And there are many people out there who, uh, and we actually, somebody suggested, well, I mean, I'm a good conservative. I just don't like, I'm a good conservative American. I just don't like the, the Confederacy. I don't like, I think it's treason. I mean, this is a complete lack of understanding of what treason actually says in the Constitution. And uh, if you don't like, if you don't like the Confederacy in 1861 and, and uh, the idea of self-determination independence, then you really shouldn't even like the United States because, the British called Americans traitors. Uh, the British said that the Americans, in particular in the South during the American War for Independence, were breaking away only for slavery. Uh, and, uh, of course, you had slavery in the North at the time, too. So they were breaking away only for slavery uh, because the British were interested in eradicating the institution. Uh, and um, it, you can make a case that the Confederate states in 1861 had a stronger case for legal secession than the American colonies did in 1776. Because in 1776, the colonies, through the Declaration of Independence, then also through their own state Declaration of Independence, uh, and saying that they're states, said that they're now free independent states, so they created states which, as they equated to the state of Great Britain, the same thing. So a state has, has the ultimate sovereignty. The people of the state have the ultimate sovereignty. And so when a state decides it wants to have exercise self-determination and leave a union, it can perfectly do so, uh, legally do so. Um, a colony, I mean, you could make the case that these were colonies part of the Lord's domain, and they had no right to break away from the, uh, from the British Empire. So, I mean, the, the states in 1861 actually had a better case than the American colonies did in 1776, legally. But, of course, you can say any people have a right to self-determination, and that's exactly what was happening. And then finally, the last piece for the week is uh, by Gail Jarvis of Brave New World. He talks about the terrible reporting that goes into your mainstream media uh, from places like the Washington Post and the New York Times and how you get uh, editorials that just completely disparage the South um, and how you don't really find any more... Um, you don't really find uh, objective journalism. And it used to be, even though people were against things in the South, and again, somebody made a comment on this too, that their, their uh, 
father or grandfather had actually written for Southern newspapers and were critical of the racial policies of the South and uh, the things that were going on in the postbellum period, but he never disparaged the never disparaged Southern history, meaning antebellum, the antebellum South. He, he could be critical of modern policies, and um, there were many Southerners who were critical of postbellum policies in terms of race. Uh, you could be critical of those things, but you didn't have to drag the Confederacy into it uh, because this was post-bellum policy, not anti-bellum policy. And so this is something that's interesting. You can't really confuse post-bellum policy, Southern policy, with anti-bellum policy. They're two different things. And uh, the, the laws that the South enacted after the war were not... We're not there before the war, and many of these laws were actually used in the North first. And if you read uh, Leon Litvak's, um, uh, the, um, his great book, uh, North of Slavery, uh, and he talks about this, how a lot of the, lot of the ideas for these post-bellum laws, Southern laws, came out of the North. I mean, the North was, um, was very racist. In fact, I mean, you, you can't find a more racist people than antebellum Northerners. Uh, really. I mean, when you look at what they were saying about slavery and, and black Americans in general, and this is interesting, you know, there's actually a Republicans pointed out that the real place that, uh, you know, favored a mixing of the races was the South, not the North. The North was the land of free white people, free Anglo-Saxons. Uh, it wasn't the South, which had 4 million black people in it, and it had large numbers of mixed-race people uh, in the South. You didn't have that in the North. So the North was the land of free white people. The South was this land of uh, miscegenation. And, uh, you know, th- this, is what, this is what they said. Even during the war, they said this. Um, you know, but definitely before the war, it was pointed out, hey, 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 we're not, we're not for a mix. The Republicans were saying, we're not for a mix of the races. We're for a, a North, for good, free white people. Free soil, free labor, free men. What they really meant by that was free soil for white people, uh, free white labor, and free white men. Uh, even Eric Foner has pointed this out in his book by the same title, The Communist Eric Foner. Every now and then he gets something right. But this stuff has all been kind of swept under the rug. I mean, we forget about that antebellum American history because we've got the target right now on the South. And the South were just vicious racists, and so they have to be, this uh, Southern history has to be purged. And then maybe we'll get around to correcting the racist Northern history. Um, But, I mean, this was the decided goal of most Republicans was keeping any blacks out of their territory and their states. They were some of the most viciously racist people you'd find. And uh, it's unfortunate that that part of history, which this has actually came out during the 1960s. There are a couple of uh, pretty good books about this, but um, how, and then Eric Foner brought that out too in, in his Free Soul, Free Labor, Free Men, but how you had, uh, in the 60s, people were pointing out, wait a second here, I know we're focusing on the South, and this is not by Southern historians, by the way. Uh, you know, we, we've got this, uh, this uh, you know, attention drawn on the South, but what about the North? What about their complicity in, in racism? Um, you know, wh- what about these type of things? What about the fact that, you know, blacks couldn't vote in many northern states? And um, 
One thing that was interesting, the Republicans pointed this out too. They said, you're afraid of us giving blacks the right to vote. It was Democrats in these states where you've already done it that have done this, not us Republicans. We don't want to give blacks the right to vote. We don't, we don't support that. This is, what black, this is what Republicans were saying before the war constantly, constantly. Uh, so it's amazing because of the 13th Amendment, of course, the 15th Amendment, and how Republicans were behind that. that you know, they're given a pass for these other things that they said before the war. Uh, even if uh, you know Southern, Southerners had had supported other things, or uh, you know whatever the case may be, uh, you know moving forward, or they can't get over uh, the the Confederacy. When after the war, you wouldn't find very many non-racist Americans. I mean, even in the North, they're about as rare as a unicorn. Okay, so uh, Americans were racist throughout mo- most of American history. It's just a fact of life. Um, but the only people that ever focused on her in the South. You know, Northerners are just, uh, you know, this is what I called early, long time ago, Yankee self-righteous delusional disorder. Um, it's exactly what it is. They're delusional. Uh, and they don't, they don't even understand their own past, but yet they're going to take the time to tell Southerners what their past should be and who they should like and who they shouldn't like and, and uh, who they should support and who they shouldn't support and how bad they are and how bad all their ancestors are. I mean, this is, this is exactly what Yankees like to do. Don't worry about what we're doing here. You just, we're just going to focus on you. Don't worry about the fact that we've had riots over school integration. No, don't worry about that. We're just going to focus on what you've done. So if we're going to have a complete American history, let's really have a complete American history. But that's not ever the goal. We don't ever want a complete American history. We just want to focus on how bad the South is. So this is the PC attack on the South. It's what we had our conference on back in, in February in, in Charleston. It's a topic that I think is just going to get the steamroller is going to keep going. right? I mean, it's not going to stop. Um, so, uh, you know, we're fighting a rear guard action at this point just to try to stall some of these things. I'm not so certain that's, that uh, rear guard action is going to work very long. Um, you know, can't have a can't have a Alabama state flag in the U.S. Capitol building now. You can have it in front of your office, that's fine, but you can't have it in the hall where everybody else can see it because it's Confederate imagery. Well, again, let's just take down everything that's Confederate imagery. Let's just purge anything that's racist or had a racist past. Let's get rid of all that stuff too. So, uh, where do you stop? Uh, where do you stop? And um, this is why, again, you should support the Abbeville Institute. Remember. We exist on your generous contributions alone. Uh, if you believe in helping explore what's true and valuable in the Southern tradition, which um, we try to do on a, on a regular basis, and that's really the Jeffersonian tradition that we, that we talk about, self-determination, local self-government, uh, avoiding uh, you know, unconstitutional federal legislation, uh, the Southern culture and history, which was the um, which the South was America, and how, what the South can offer to a renewal of America. Remember, our our summer school coming up in June is on that topic: the South and the renewal of America, Southern tradition and the renewal of America. And they'll have a lot of good stuff there. So um, think about that. Think about helping us out. All of your uh, uh, donations are f- uh, fully deductible or deductible to the full extent of the law and your taxes. So uh, think about that. So. Uh, all the things we do are primarily done uh, for free by our scholars. So um, we, we need your help in putting on conferences and uh, putting out this podcast and the website and all those things. So please consider a donation, and uh, please continue to share our material and uh, 
uh, put our material out there on the web. Um, until next time, good day. Mm-hmm.